Welcome to the study of God's Word recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Okay, this morning I'm going to be teaching from Second Hesitations. And that's in chapter 5. And you, can, you will not be able to find second hesitation in the index of your Bible because it's non-existent. I hesitate to say it. OK. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you're new to your Bible, use that index in the front of your Bible and find the page in your Bible where 2 Timothy shows up. Go to chapter 2, because our text is going to be from verses 1 to 7 in chapter 2 this morning. Pastor Ed invited me to teach one of the four exhortations this month with the topic of have it all, which is a reference of pouring out everything in our life to the Lord, opening up all the doors, everything, holding nothing back to the Lord because we trust him. We don't have to fear him in the sense that he's going to do evil to us. We have to trust him with who he is, focusing on his character as he's revealed himself to be in scripture. And so 2024 can be a year that's full of anxiety for you because when you came through 2023, you look like you've just been ran over by a Mack truck. And so you're worried about 2024 and what's this going to hold? But listen, God is there already. And your focus has to be on him, not on the circumstance or the potential or trying to figure it out. It has to be on him Because you see, he wants to calm the storm in your heart before he calms the storm outwardly. And so if you're waiting for him to calm the storm first outwardly before you'll give your life to him, man, you've got the cart before the horse. Because you'll never have and experience that peace of God until you let him do all that he wants to do in your life. And And that's just a word for some of you who are just so full of anxiety over what's ahead. Could be a health issue, could be the finances, could be your children or your marriage, could be your job situation, there's going to be layoffs, what are we going to do, yada, 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 and and your mind is just going crazy. Stop it. Slow down. Get your eyes back on the Lord. We're going to talk about that today. Pastor Ed started the month with a study called Live with Loyalty. Loyalty to the Lord, not having a divided heart toward him, one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. And then his second study last week was called Live with Total Commitment to the Lord. And so as you make those commitments, yes, there will be trials and challenges and tests that test your commitment. But the grace of God will be with you to help you carry through the commitment that you make. And so today... Uh, what I want to do is take the third part of this and, and call it living with strength through grace. And that comes from our text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which we'll see. And as we look at these seven verses, chapter 1, excuse me, verse 1 becomes a foundation for the five exhortations that Paul will give to Timothy. And remember, this is Paul's last letter. He knows when he writes this to Timothy that in a few weeks, 
he's going to lose his head, literally. Because as a Roman citizen, they were never crucified. But as a Roman citizen who committed capital crimes, they were taken outside the city and beheaded. And so Paul's, Paul knows that, you know, at the end of the day, the Lord is in charge of it all. And it was a difficult. But when you read the letter, you don't see him whining and complaining of how wrong it all is. He's focused because he knows where he's going. He knows what the Lord has done. And he knows what's ahead. And that's, that's got to be our focus as well. We can get so distracted. So I'm going to divide these seven verses into six sections, and I'll talk about them as we go through it. Those of you taking notes, the head of your note needs to be living with strength through grace. And then you can write down each of these six uh, subheadings uh, here. But just open your heart, not just your pen. Open your heart to what God may want to speak to you about because he knows you're here and this random old guy is here talking to you. And God wants to use this text to reach you because he loves you, he cares for you. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. We'll start with prayer and we'll launch into this. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're asking that you, by the Holy Spirit, would use this text this morning in our hearts, in our lives. And we ask, God, that you would reason with us. You know how we process our world. You know our habits. You know the things that trip us up. You know the ways the enemy tries to get us distracted. And you are more powerful than all that. And you want to give us your strength to pursue, to carry through, to do what's right until the very end. And so, Lord, speak to us this morning as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's start with Roman numeral one. And we're going to call it grace that brings continuous strength. Grace that brings continuous strength. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Of course, we know that Paul is writing to Timothy, his son in the faith. Timothy there is overseeing the churches there in Ephesus. Paul is in prison in Rome. But as we read this, I want us all to go beyond this and understand this is the word of the Lord to us. 
This is as if Jesus is talking to us and he's using, let's put your name in there, you therefore, my son, Bob, you therefore, my son or my daughter, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That is true right this second, just as true as it was with Timothy. And his exhortation, be strong, is a choice to be made on Timothy's part. Because he could just ignore it going, well, you're just an old man. You're going to die soon. No, no, no. He took it seriously. There's a command here. As a matter of fact, the word in the Greek is a command for be strong. And it is in the verb tense called present imperative, which means a command to do something in the future which involves continuous or repeated action. We see that um, is, it's not a one-time, be strong. Okay, I was strong, now what? No, 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 it's, it's every single day, every moment. Lord, I need your strength regularly, continuously. Not continually, but continuously, which is a constant action. The present imperative. One familiar example for those of us that are believers in here is found in Ephesians 5.18 where Paul tells the Ephesian church, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word be filled is in the present imperative, meaning be continuously filled. Keep on being filled because he pours us out. And we need to be um, filled with him so that he can pour out into the lives of others. But then also, do not be drunk with wine. Be, be not, not drunk is also in that present imperative, where, which is refers to you, you go back and back and back to the alcohol to try to deal with all the pressures and um, the, the, the anxiety and everything. And it's an outside source to try to calm the storm inside. But listen, only God can calm the storm inside. And he wants to give life. Notice that Paul put being drunk, which is where your blood alcohol level reaches a certain state of saturation which affects your life. And it affects it in a dissipation, which means it starts falling apart. But be filled with the Spirit is put parallel, which means a saturation with him. Because when the Holy Spirit saturates your life, there's life. He says, you'll end up speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks um, always for all things. I mean, how is that a bad thing? I mean, that's, that's like life. Instead of just trying to cover the pressure with an outside source, and then it, when it all leaks out, Sorry about that illustration. When it's all out, you're in worse shape. And you have to go back again. And the Lord says, man, I want to give you life. Present imperative condition. Be being filled. And here in the exhortation, it's as if Paul is saying, Timothy, keep on being empowered as a regular life experience in Christ Jesus, no matter what life has to offer. It reminds me of the strength to strength 
uh, exhortation we see in Psalm 84. And this section here, um, I'm ready to, I'm developing a Bible study separately out of it. Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Now, this, of course, speaks to the Hebrew people that three times a year they made their, uh, their walk, their journey up to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, to attend the three feasts there in the temple. But our pilgrimage is in the heavenly Zion. We're not going to church. This is not a thing saying, okay, our pilgrimage is to go to church on the weekend. Dude, that's not the context here. Our heavenly Zion, according to Hebrews, is, is the heavenly Jerusalem. Because we want to be where he is. That's our goal. Our life on this planet is a pilgrimage as a believer to be with Jesus. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. That means it, or, it, it affects everything you do during your pilgrimage because that's my goal. And you keep your eye on the goal and it adjusts everything that you deal with here in this life. Verse 6 of this Psalm 84 says, As they pass through the valley of Baca. Now, Baca means in Hebrew, weeping. Because, frankly, there are times in our pilgrimage where there's, there's brokenness. And our hearts break. And, and we begin to, to weep because of, of the sadness or the difficulty but even in the midst of passing through that valley, we can have a spring because that's what it says. They make it a spring because it's, it's, it's like an artesian well on the inside when the Holy Spirit fills your life. And man, we so need that, especially in this year of 2024 because people are going to let you down. People are going to lie to you. People are going to uh, try to take advantage of you. And there's all of that potential. But you, want, you know what? I draw my life from a source of life that's ever bubbling up in the Holy Spirit. It says here, the rain also covers it with pools. That's from the outside. God brings times of blessing. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Strength to strength means that there are seasons of strength, which implies there are seasons when you feel uh, absolutely without strength. And that's where you draw upon the Lord to say, God, you have to be my strength. There is strength in you in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That's a foundational kingdom truth. That's the basis of his, of his exhortations here. But the grace that is in Christ Jesus, what does Paul mean by grace? It's the Greek word charis. And I looked up in Thayer's Greek definitions to give you a technical definition of grace so you can have it. So we're going to leave it up on the screen for a while because it's technical. Those of you that are writing, good luck. Okay, here it goes. Grace, Thayer's Greek de definitions. The merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. Technical definition 
but the grace of God, his favor, his kindness. I mean, those of you that are believers in here, think back on the fact that God actually pursued you. He chased you down. He blocked your way. He knew the war that was in your heart against him, and yet he still pursued you. That's called grace and love. And out of that grace comes strength. Dunamis is the Greek word, power. Keep on being empowered in the strength that's there in Christ. Roman numeral two, this is the second part, verse two. Grace that produces gospel teachers. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse one, be strong in the grace, in the strength. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus is foundational for this first exhortation. Why did Paul put this first? Because they were living in a time when the gospel truths were being attacked by every philosophy on the earth. And people were coming into these small house churches there in the first century and bringing uh, a gospel or a a so-called good news that was corrupting the truths, the basic truths of the gospel. And I want to tell you that the, gospel, the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ is unique among all the religions of the world. Because all the religions of the world, when you examine them, are all based upon self-effort to work yourself into a better state. But Christianity is the only religion, religion where the God who has been offended by the sins of man and has wrath determined upon those sins himself provides himself to take his own wrath, to take our sin upon himself through his son and offer his holiness and righteousness as an exchange, exchange for our sin. And all the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can take the Bible and reinterpret the words like some religions do right now. It's not the true gospel. You have to leave it alone. Paul addresses it in the first chapter of the book of Galatians. It's not another gospel. It's a perversion of the truths of the true gospel. And so this exhortation is, Find men who will hold fast the pattern of sound words. And that's chapter 1, verse 13. When you find them, commit these gospel truths to faithful men who will be able to teach others. The word commit means to deposit or to be an investment. Now, we all know what that's about in this day of trying to make solid investments for the future and setting up your retirement and all that and the Bitcoin and the different other ways you can spread out your net worth and all. But, but you know, sometimes you get so wrapped up in investing for the physical future, you have neglected to invest for the spiritual f- uh, future. Jesus commanded us to lay up treasure in heaven where the whole thing doesn't go belly up like it can in this life. It's not that investing in this life is wrong. It's just that we so trust in it and we get our eyes off of the Lord. And sometimes it's to the neglect of our families 
And we're saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm developing for their future, but you haven't invested into your kids the truths of the gospel. Well, I don't want to change them. I don't want to influence them. Where do you get that from? That's not in here. Matter of fact, cover to cover. It's like invest in your children. It's your responsibility as a parent. Yeah, but what if they don't hear? Well, pray for them. <coughs> Sorry. That chokes me up, yeah. <coughs> pray for them. That's at least you can do. That's investment. That's a deposit. You're asking God to send intercontinental ballistic missiles, bam, into their life through prayer because they're not listening to you. They just roll their eyes and go, whatever, you know. And, and it's like, come on, stop that. And, and you just love them. Keep your heart right to minister to them. Yeah, but you don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know how wayward they are. You don't know how painful it is. Yes, I do. My, our, our youngest son had that season. And I know those feelings. And I know that sense of, of hopelessness and out of control and unable to change it. That's where you've got to hide yourself in the sovereignty of God and his love and truth care for them. And now my son, you know, he's walking with the Lord tight, praise God. Um, but it was, and now he's got kids, he's got to train, and, and they're going through the same things that he was going through. And he, he keeps telling me, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I don't realize it was going to be this hard. I'm so sorry. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to do some damage to you, actually. <laughs> so anyway, Invest. Commit these truths to faithful men. Discipleship is super important. Don't let the truths of the gospel die out. Commit them. That was the word to Timothy, but it's also the word to us. Know what you believe, and in love and in grace, commit those things as a deposit into the next generation. Let's go on, number three. Grace that leads to endurance, Roman numeral 3, verse 3. Look at, look at this verse closely. You, therefore. The word therefore based, is based on verse 1. You, therefore. Because you have strength, Timothy, that's in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, you, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look at the word must. Circle it. It implies no alternatives. You must do it. Not uh, think about maybe toying with it if you, if you so feel like it would be good. No, no. You must do this, Timothy. It's a, non, it's, it's a non-negotiable. It's not an option. And the Greek word Paul used for endure hardship includes the idea of enduring hardship along with me. So it's not just, Timothy, you're on your own. It's, Timothy, we're in this together, in this war. Endure it along with me. But I want you to hear the Lord Jesus speaking to us, saying, endure hardship along with me. I suffered for your sins. I want you to in fellowship with me in that suffering. That's what Paul says in Philippians. I want to know the fellowship is sufferings. I want to know experientially what that is because there's grace and there's life 
um, that comes along with it. And I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Endure along with me. The Greek word is kakopatheo, which reminds me of kaopectate for some reason, but, but kakopatheo for those of you that are interested. And Thayer's Greek definitions gives that definition as to suffer or endure evils, hardships, troubles, to be afflicted. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. You know, I, I want my sins forgiven, but come on now. I've, I've already had a hard life. I want things easy. I'm sorry you got on the wrong bus because Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As difficult as life can be, And by the way, there are believers right now suffering, being tortured in prisons around the world for their faith. Nobody knows about them. They've been given false charges to be a cover for persecuting them, and they're going through it, and and the pressure is to give up their friends who are meeting or their leaders and all, and they're going through heinous treatment, saying, I am going to be faithful to the Lord no matter what even if they take my life. God, give me strength and grace to make it through the beating. And that's the truth. That's the reality of what's going on right now. And we get all weird because we wake up and we go, oh my goodness, I got a flat tire. God, how could you allow this to happen to me? I mean, really? Just perspective. We have to get it back. Timothy, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because we are in a spiritual warfare. When you come to Christ, all of a sudden, you're a soldier. You're in the battle. If physical armed forces have the capacity to endure this hardness, then how much more can we endure the hardness that comes in life through the strength that comes available through the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That's, that's the gist here of this whole section to Timothy and to us. Jesus is our commander-in-chief, and he's given us different counsel based on how the Father has been toward us. In Matthew 5, 43 through 45, Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. How do you love your enemy? When everything in you wants to retaliate, how dare them? I can't believe it. That's so wrong. That's unjust. That's unfair. I'm going to teach them that, you know, and, and, and your mind just goes wild and it stirs up the emotions and your nostrils are big like a snorting horse, man, because you're so upset. Don't even get around you. And here's Jesus saying, 
Bless those who curse you. Yeah, I'll bless them, all right. You know, I'll bless them with, I mean, I mean, come on, dude. Here's, here's the truth. You cannot do this on your own. I can't love my enemy on my own. Because everything on my own wants to retaliate and give them, oh yeah, you give me five, I'll see you ten. But Jesus is saying, here's what I want to do in you so I can work through you. I want to give you my love so that you can love them even though it has been a curse on you, even though they have spitefully used you and slandered you. That kind of love only comes from heaven, and it comes with the Holy Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, God's love. I cannot manufacture that kind of love in my life. So when someone has done you evil and there's this sense of, of retaliation and, and has gotten you wound up, you got to go to the Lord saying, this is a light on the dashboard, uh, speaking of driving, <laughs> when all kinds of thoughts come as you drive through the Denver area. Um, okay, enough said. And that's when it's like the light on the dash. You know, you know, it's annoying on a cold morning when, when all of a sudden the like low air on the tire comes in and it's going, no, no, really? Come on, it's just cold. Well, that's there for a reason. And the Lord speaks to us in times of our being wound up and he says, man, you're low on oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to just say, look what I've done with you. Look how I loved you when you were so unfair to me. Look how I pursued you when I shouldn't have pursued you at all. And, and it's just perspective. God, give me your love so it will change my life on how I deal with others. Because my, my purpose, my goal is to reflect to the world around me what you look like what your love looks like. And that's why he said, love your enemies and do good, bless, pray for. <laughs> it may take a while. I'm just saying. It's not like, okay, I'm over it. No, you're not over it. You're over it right this second until a thought comes back up and you can sense this bile coming up in your, in your throat when their memory comes to your mind. You're not over it. And God has to heal your heart. He wants to heal the wound so he can use you. Let him heal you. But some of you don't want to be healed because it was so unfair. If God, if you heal me, no one will know. Please, let him heal your heart. Let's go on number four. Grace that keeps focus. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Again, this exhortation is based upon verse one. The strength that's available through the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And notice the words in warfare. 
Because there are soldiers who are in the barracks resting. They're not in warfare. But when you're out in the midst of, of confronting the enemy, you've got to watch out for IEDs. You've got to watch out for incoming um, armament. And, and, and I mean, you are in warfare. It's a whole different mindset. And Paul is telling Timothy here, listen, as a Roman soldier is engaged in warfare, he can't allow himself to be entangled or distracted. Because if he loses focus, it's going to endanger not only him, but the rest of his troop and his platoon. You've got to have each other's back. You've got to keep focus. And that's the exhortation to Timothy here, but it's an exhortation to us. How do we lose our focus? We get distracted. Sometimes the distractions are innocent things. They're not, they're not sinful things, but they're just things that end up consuming volumes of time. And pretty soon you realize you haven't had a time with the Lord for several days or even weeks because after all, you've got to do this. Why? It's kind of an addiction and you get used to doing this and you want to do it because I just want to conquer that game or I just, I just want to be involved there. Or I just want to find a, a, you know, a new set of clothing or I just want those special boots and, and it just consumes you. It becomes a distraction. Not that they're bad in, in and of themselves, but look how much time and look how much of a distraction it's become to you. And you got to pull back. But there are some entanglements that are actually sin. And you've gotten involved maybe in a relationship with someone else, and now you're involved in sexual sin. You're involved in lying. You're involved in hiding. You're involved in compromise. You're one way in front of other believers and another way in secret. I mean, what is happening in your life? How did that start? Fear. Fear that you might lose that person if you were straight with them, if you told them the truth. That's a, that's a sandy foundation that won't hold up in your life. These aren't in my notes, but I'm just, it's on my heart to say. The word entangle means to become involved in difficulties or complicated circumstances from which it is difficult to escape. Have you ever come to anybody and said, how's your relationship going? And they say, it's complicated. <laughs> that means they're entangled. Because, you know, an affair starts, first of all, emotionally before it ever happens physically. And God wants you to put a guard on your heart and think clearly and don't let the world be the influence in your life, but let the Holy Spirit and trust in him be the influence in your life. The word entangle only occurs two times in the New Testament, here and in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. 
If the Holy Spirit brings things to your mind and heart and you realize that you have become entangled, maybe distracted with a non-sin issue or a sinful issue, it's time now to say, I need the strength that's available in, in Christ through his grace to turn away from that entanglement, to take the, the, the weeds that have blocked my way. It also reminds me of Hebrews 12. Let's run the race with endurance, laying aside every sin, every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let's look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know, keeping focus, most of you have a a cell phone. You take pictures with that phone. And you got to keep it in focus. You have to, you know, work it so that, you know, the picture comes out crystal clear. Sometimes you can be looking right at the object and you're out of focus. And you know, the really, um, the truth is, we can be looking at our relationship with Jesus, but we're out of focus. How do we get out of focus? We've gotten distracted. A focus means that you take and you, you hone in, you sharpen it. When you're listening to Grace FM, 90, um, 89.7, if you're on 89.5, you're going to get... Okay, you're out of focus. You've got to take that silly dial and bring it one more notch to 89.7. And then it comes through clear. Same thing with our relationship with the Lord. Don't just do religious things because you're not in focus. Focus is it's not about religion. It's about him. Does that make sense? It's not about the things you do. It's about him. Focus on him. Keep the focus that comes from the strength that's in Christ Jesus. Number five, grace that encourages obedience. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And this focus is, is obedience. Those athletes in the Olympic Games spend time honing their skills in their particular sport. A person who does shot put in the uh, field games has to strengthen certain muscles and certain movements and certain timing to be able to get that, that, that heavy iron ball out to where it needs to be. But a person running a marathon doesn't <laughs> encourage those big muscles. Can you see a big guy, you know, trying to run a marathon? Okay, he's great for shot put, but he stinks at a marathon. Okay, well, he's not trained for that. If, if athletes can do it in discipline, believers through the strength that's provided can do it as well. What are the rules of the game for us? The rule of the kingdom comes down to one thing. God's love in you and through you. Because all that you find in the New Testament is, is connected to that kingdom law, the law of love in Christ. For 2024, may we be filled with the love of God and have our focus on Jesus and not just religious activities. Amen? Finally, number six, grace to continue to labor, verses six and seven. 
The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I want you to realize that hardworking is different than enduring hardship because there are different Greek words, and it's a different context. Enduring hardship has to do, in verse 3, has to do with things that come against you. The hardworking farmer, working hard, has to do with the condition and the necessity of the case. A farmer is one of the most hardworking men and women that you'll find because they just can't take their ease. They have to continually work. You know, the herd of Bessies that are waiting to be milked aren't going to be milking themselves. You know, they, they have to do the hard things. Why do they do the hard things? Because unless they do it, there's no reward at the end. And so in the Christian life, in the context... The Christian life is going to include hard work. I'm sorry, that's not the Western culture mindset of ease, convenience, and comfort. It's going to be hard work. Obeying the Lord is going to end up being hard work. Doing the right things when it's going to potentially cause wrong things to happen in your life by other people. You have to do the right things and walk with integrity before the Lord. And there are times it's going to be hard. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God, Paul says to the churches there um, in his first missionary journey. Hard working. To feel fatigue, to toil, to be wearied. Some of you are ready to give up praying on your wayward kids because it's been so hard and so painful. And God is saying to you, the hardworking farmer must be first to taste the first fruits. I've got a reward for you at the end. Do what's right, even though your hard work, you don't see any result. Because your reward comes at the end. The reward comes with Jesus when he returns, when he comes for us. Well, what about blessings? Aren't blessings the reward? No, blessings are distribution of his grace. The reward comes at the end because you can work hard and do what's right and end up not receiving any proof of the effect because it's treasure in heaven not on earth. For the reward, when Jesus, with his own voice, will say to us, well done. He's not British either. You know, the Brits say well done all the time. But he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I want you to rule with me in my kingdom. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Do the hard work in 2024 through the strength that's in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, not on your own strength. Lord, I can't do this. Be honest with him. Tell him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Working out your own salvation doesn't mean you're working for salvation. It means that you are living out what God has put into you. And how does that happen? Because God works in you to, with your willingness and the strength to carry it out is how this verse is, is telling us. And finally, in verse 7, consider what I say. Now, the word consider is also in that present imperative form, which means a command to do something in the future which has continuous and repetitive action. Keep considering. Don't let it slip your mind. Endure hardship. Keep focused. Obey implicitly. Do the labor, all based on the ongoing strength that's yours from the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Great section. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. And there may have been a moment here and there where the something has pierced our heart and, and we've sensed you, your fingerprint on our soul and, and saying this needs to be straightened out. And Lord, we thank you for your kindness in getting our attention. But as we pray, Lord, we also realize there could be some who are listening online or here in the sanctuary or downstairs or listening on Grace FM even. And as they think about their life, they've never really surrendered their life to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And only can that strength be yours when you have taken that step and you are in Christ Jesus. If this happens to be your state right now, there's a remedy for that simply by asking. And how do you do that? You come to the Lord and you say, God, I admit I've been at war with you. And I, I believe that if Jesus died for my sins, then my sins will be forgiven completely. And the gospel tells us that that's true. And you stand ready to forgive me of all the sin of my life if I will believe on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so right now, I turn over my life to you, God. I ask you to forgive me of all the sins of my life. I repent of those sins and I turn to you. Fill me now with the Spirit of God and make yourself real to me. Make your home in my heart. This morning, if this is your heart and your desire, let's solidify that. Let's make it done once for all time. As we continue to pray, if this is you, at the end of our time of worship here, please come forward and communicate with the prayer partners and the pastors who will be up here to receive you. And let's get this settled in your life. And God, we want to thank you for your word this morning and help us take these things you've been speaking to us and go forward for 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. 
For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.